It's time for the VolQuest podcast, where we dissect the biggest news items of the week. Good Tuesday, everyone. Welcome to the VolQuest.com podcast presented by our good friends at Smoky Mountain Organics. East Tennessee's number one trusted CDB health and wellness store. Visit one of their four locations, one in Gatlinburg, Pigeon Ford, Sevierville. Their newest location is in Knoxville, right across the street from Trader Joe's. That's at 8018 Kingston Pike. They're elevating health and celebrating well-being uh, with their CDB or CBD, Pure Essential Oils, Organic Tea, Soaps, and Lotions. Uh, that's at Smoky Mountain Organics with Rob Lewis and Austin Price and Brent Hubs. Glad to have you along with us. On this Tuesday edition of the podcast, it is Florida week and Tennessee's a three touchdown underdog. Not exactly how Tennessee wants to draw it up. Rob kind of tells you where Tennessee's at in this process uh, under Josh Heupel in year one, right? Yeah, and I don't want to—I don't want to be overly negative like AP is on the, on the general's quarters. But <laughs> I was a little surprised. That, I thought I wouldn't have been surprised if the line was higher. Personally, I mean, I guess I, mean, I, I bet Vegas is probably factored in a little bit, a little bit of a Bama hangover. For, for Florida, but um, yeah, I mean, it's, and, I, and I'm not trying to, I'm, I'm really not trying to, you know, disrespect Tennessee. I'm just saying at the place where both these programs are at right now. And I was really impressed with Florida on, on Saturday. what you like most about Florida? I mean, just their ability to line up and run the ball. Well, and physicality on both, both lines of scrimmage front seven. And I mean, when's the last time we've seen somebody almost triple up Alabama in, in, in rushing yardage. I mean, Alabama had 91 yards rushing on almost 30 carries. And Florida went for what, 245. That that physicality on both sides of the lines of scrimmage is what really impressed me about that. That that, that was eye-opening. Austin, any chance Bama's having a drop-off here? I mean, I think it's possible. Uh, you know, coming into the season, everybody was talking about how Nick liked this defense. It's one of his best defenses he's had in the last decade and – you know, he felt, you know, really confident in a lot of areas. But, I mean, Florida in a lot of ways was one-dimensional. I mean, like Emory Jones, I mean, he was – he made it – you know, he was solid, you know, in the passing game. But he didn't like he threw for a bunch of yards. They just ran right down Alabama's throat. I mean, you know, they took a bad angle. Alabama should have got out of that one drive uh, where Florida went 99 yards – and the kid, you know, went for the pick instead of went for the tackle. If he goes for the tackle and takes a better angle, it's fourth down. They're punting. Instead, they go 99 yards, and it just kept the momentum going for the Gators. So, um, yeah, I, I don't know if I'm supposed to be positive or negative about, you know, Alabama. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's all tongue-in-cheek, but, I mean, like, it's so true. Like I said on the board, like, we're too positive for some, too negative for others. You know, I mean, like, you know, the, the facts are – you know, Florida is a good, solid football team. They have really good running backs, um, and it's not just the, the the lead dog. I mean, they've they've got you know a, a couple of different guys there that are really good. Um, you know, they're they're you know, I think pedestrian at quarterback as long as Emory Jones is in. I I just think like if he plays within himself, he's okay. You know, when he tries to freelance and and gets a little careless with the football, he's not, and so. Um, he played within himself against Alabama. We'll see if he does it against Tennessee, or does he think, oh, it's Tennessee, I'm going to have a big day, and he kind of gets careless again. Um, you know, this is a Florida team, though, that, you know, can they avoid the the, the Bama letdown 
you know, coming up Saturday night. I think because it's a night game, it gives them probably a better chance to avoid it. If it was at noon, I think you sleepwalk into that game a little bit. Yeah, I don't disagree with that. Rob, what, what's – if you're Tennessee, what's more concerning? The fact that Alabama gained 90 – less than 100 yards on Florida's defensive front or Florida rushing for the yards they rushed against against Alabama? Uh, for me, it's, it's Tennessee being able to run the ball on Florida because I think – me and you would agree that and, – and, and I think Tennessee will be a lot better when they get Cooper Mays back. But, I, you know, they, they put up some inflated numbers against Bowling Green that I don't think meant much. And then, you know, the last two weeks have not, have not been great. You know, they've been okay. The numbers look good against Tennessee Tech. But, I mean, you would expect them to. And, you know, a bunch of that 202 yards came on Hendon Hooker scrambles. Not, you know, there were a couple of design runs in there that they get credit for. But – uh, even with Cooper back, I, I think it's going to be tough sledding for Tennessee on the ground, which with what they're they're getting at quarterback right now I, I could make for a long day. Yeah, this I mean, this is a surprise to me. The last two games, Tennessee's tailbacks have 26 runs of two yards or less, and their longest runs of, is of 15 yards, which obviously is not not going to be good enough. Uh, Austin, Guys, we, we, won, we won 56 to nothing, okay? <laughs> Got to be positive, Hubs. Don't talk about the two-yard runs. 56 nothing. Well, I, I'm, I'm going to talk about whatever I want to talk about on the podcast here is, is what's going to happen. My question to you is this, regardless of what the scoreboard said last week, it's Florida and, and Tennessee's opening SEC play, and I know you're a big tongue-in-cheek. What, what's a bigger surprise to you, Tennessee um, unsure in the running game or, or, or not as good in the running game or the fact that we're heading into week four and we're still having a conversation about who the quarterback should be at Tennessee. Or, and look, maybe we're having the conversation and Tennessee internally is not having the conversation. But the fact is, through four games, nobody has run really run away with the quarterback job, at least not in my opinion. Well, until somebody does, I think everybody has to kind of take that wait-and-see approach. You know, and, and going forward, it doesn't matter if it lasts two years from now. Until somebody takes hold and runs with the baton, I think everybody's got to take a wait-and-see approach with the quarterback position. I, you know, I, again, I, I thought that Tennessee would be able to run the ball way more effectively than they did a week ago. Um, you know, they, they – you know, I, I just – did you not think that – you know, I thought I wanted Tennessee to throw it a lot because I felt like the passing game needed the reps. Um, you know, but I was surprised that Tennessee wasn't able to break off any big runs. I mean, like they – you know, a couple of solid runs here and there, but, you know, they, they did not – you know, break off big runs against Tennessee Tech of all people. You know, Rob, there yeah. just there wasn't the gaping holes I anticipated a week ago. No, I mean, and and you talked about it last week. When I mean, how many guys they have that were even over two hundred seventy pounds? I mean, they started one guy up front that was what, six foot two forty. Yeah, and and had you know just had given up seventy eight points to Sanford and, and Furman in back to back weeks to not have a single twenty yard twenty yard run against a team like that. I was I would have lost my house if you would have made me, made me that bet before the game that Tennessee wouldn't have a tailback with a 20-yard run against Tennessee Tech. Yep, um, I agree with you there. All right, Josh Heupel doesn't want to play in hypotheticals, but we'll play in hypotheticals. If Joe Milton is healthy, is he the starting quarterback for Tennessee this weekend, or is it Hendon Hooker? I mean, it's like reading tea leaves, but don't you think it's Milton? I mean, just kind of the way – I mean, reading between the lines of what, what, he's, what he's said or, or not said. Austin? Yeah, I just don't know. I mean, like, I, I don't know what they're going to do. Uh, yeah, I mean, if if you ask me to lean one way, 
I would lean Milton, but I mean, the fact that Hypel said, I don't deal in hypotheticals and, and, you know, I mean, hubs, you and I watched him walking into the complex for a guy that has a quote high ankle sprain. He had no boot on, he had flip-flops on and he walked with no limp. Am I, am I lying? If I'm lying? No, no. I mean, he, he did. I mean, he, he did. He was, I mean, you know, he, he told me last week passing him on the street that he was fine. Um, so, again, I'm going to go off the premise that he's available. If he's available, is it Hendon Hooker, Austin, or, or Joe Milton? It is as a guess. Not not saying the absolute I, truth, but as I, a guess, I, what do you think? I, I know I would go with Hooker because I feel like he, he, he played last week. And, you know, for me, you know, that that wins out. See, I, I, I kind of lean that way too, Austin, or, or Rob, j- just well, the standpoint that do you want to go into that environment down there on a Saturday night with somebody who hasn't played in seven quarters and who wants it lightening up before he got hurt? And I, I would go with hooker. I'm just saying, I think they tried to guess what Hypo is going to do. I think he's going with Milton, but that's, that's a guess on my part. I, I go with Milton for the things you said, Hubbard, and also the mobility behind, you know, I, I think. You, hooker, I, I don't think going with hooker. Yeah, yeah. Just because of the, you know, the, the ability to make some things happen with his feet. I think that will, the need for that will be magnified against this front seven, the way Tennessee's been blocking people. And, uh, you know, uh, not to say that, you know, the whole JG coming off the bench thing was 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 great, but I do think that, you know, if you go that route, maybe work Milton in at some point and let him watch from the sidelines. Maybe he sees something that allows him to come in off the bench and, you know, and be more effective. I mean – you know, again, it, 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 at this point, with the quarterback position, you're just throwing it all up against the wall and seeing if it's something sticks. If if Milton can really run the offense faster, is that a big advantage? Yeah, I think so because I think it does temper the crowd because I think that, you know, it, you, you can potentially keep the, the defense and the crowd on their heels and, and that potentially could help. You think that's a, a schematic advantage, Rob? If they can go fast can like they went both – like they went Bowling Green fast in the first quarter with, with Cooper on the field. And, and if they the, can get, if they can string together some first downs, if not, they'll get their eyes beat in. With but they, Florida will wear that defense out. It'll be ugly in the second half. And I, and I'm not sure they can, you know, from what we saw last week, I'm not sure how many first downs Tennessee's going to be racking up against that defense. The important, I'm with you. The, what's the importance of Cooper Mays? I think it's big, man. And I wrote this today, and I know you said it, but I mean, with that, with one injury, you got worse at two positions because Carvin had to slide over. He's not as good as Cooper at center, and you wouldn't expect him to be. And then Carvin's a starter at, at guard for a reason. I mean, his, the backups aren't, aren't as good as him. So you, you, you got weaker there at two spots. You got Cade playing. I don't know if he's technically out of position, but I think he's more comfortable inside. You got a left tackle that's never played there in college. I mean, that's it's not ideal. Austin, you think they're they think they're some significantly better with, with Cooper in there? Not not that they're going to suddenly line up and run all over Florida because nobody has. But is, is it a big difference? You think? I do think it's a big difference. I, I think it just shows you how thin they were. Um, right. You know that that you know, and especially if they go out there and they have success and they don't give up sacks, even if they don't run the ball that great against what is a, you know, a very talented Florida defensive line, not the most talented Tennessee's faced from Florida, but still talented. Um, you know, I just think that that shows you, you know, 
how little depth they had that they couldn't sustain one guy going out and just sliding one guy over and plugging and playing. I mean, they, it's not like they did all this moving around. Um, you know, they, they, you know, basically just shifted Jerome into center and, and then just went with Ollie Lane at first and then, you know, Kingston Harris after that. So for me, um, you know, I, I do think it's a big deal. May not be a big deal in terms of rushing yards, but I think it's a big deal as far as tempo and uh, continuity. All right, let's flip it over to the other side of the ball. Talk a little defense for a minute. Um, I, I am – I don't want to say dumbfounded. That's too much. But I am really surprised at the way this defense has played through three games. And here's my surprise. It, it, it's the fact that they – have seemed as in sync and as tied together at all three levels as they have been without, without the apparent major bust. They've not played perfect. They've been bust. They've been bust. But there haven't, to me, there hasn't been, haven't been the major bust that I thought you would see trying to figure out a new defense in game situations. I haven't seen that. I mean, I'm, I'm really impressed with what, You've seen so far, it's a small sample size. They haven't played great competition. I get all those types of things. But to, to me, they are far better than I ever anticipated they would be through the first quarter of the season. What, what's your take on the defense, Rob? Oh, I agree completely. Uh, I mean, especially the front seven. I mean, the secondary, we, we only have one game to judge it on. But I was a little surprised they got manhandled by Pittsburgh like they did in the back end just because you have so many guys who played so much football back there. And, um, but up front, I'm, you know, we've all talked about it. I'm, I'm way surprised at how, how effective they have been. And I don't care who you're playing when you're, you know, when the teams are averaging you know, two, two and a half yards or a carry or whatever it is against you, your guys are where they are supposed to be. You know, they're not, as you said, there's, there's not been the obvious bust. And uh, I think, I mean, I've been impressed by that coaching staff. I think guys in a new system, as you mentioned, to not have the bust that you would just kind of assume would happen. And I think that's been pretty impressive. I've, I've been impressed by the, the guys on that side of the ball. Yeah, I agree. I mean, you know, when you factor in that, you know, intensity give up 47 points on the year, 27 of it came in one quarter. And that means the other seven, they gave up 20 points. And I know Bowling Green, Tennessee Tech, you know, I, I get it. You know, but this is the same school that, you know, just a couple of years ago gave up 30-plus points to Georgia State, you know, on the defensive side of the ball in, 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 a, in a season opener. So, um, you know, how do you not be impressed? All the losses they've had, plugging in new guys from parts unknown at times, and, you know, they've, they've really played as a cohesive unit. And, you know, outside of that second quarter, and, again, there are going to be quarters like that. There'll be quarters like that maybe this week, you know. Um, but I mean, you know, on the whole, you know, they've they've made plays, they've been disruptive, they've they've done a really, really solid job. Is this just a result of simplicity and confidence, Austin? I think the confidence. I mean, maybe simplicity, but I think more likely the confidence. I, I think that this defensive side of the ball um has benefited as much as anyone from the team building the building and, and, you know, up, up of the confidence and, and, and the morale and, and all that stuff. I, yeah. I mean, I, I think it's, it's, I mean, 
I wrote this. It, it feels like you know what the offensive identity, what they want the identity of the offense to be, Rob, but but they're not there. But you feel like you got a better idea of what the identity of this defense is through through the the first three games of the season, yeah, which I think, which I didn't expect. No, same here. They've been very disciplined. You know, they still. If, if there's a weakness or not, I mean, I'm sure they're, they're not talking like these are, you know, the 85 bears. Right. If, if there's a weak, you know, something you'd like to see maybe a little more established pass rush, maybe Byron Young, you know, but brings that to the table. I think Tyler Barry can do that. Um, but I think, I think some of it has to be simplicity. Now we're not sitting in the meeting rooms and, you know, so we don't know exactly where it is, but think about, you've got a, you got a middle linebacker who I presume is calling the signals. Wasn't here in spring practice played in, you know, didn't even have the advantage of, of, of that. You got two transfers playing a lot of snaps on the defensive line that that are new to it. And um, to I th- I just think it has to be more simple. We've talked about it on the podcast before, but I think and I think this is your phrase. Every Pruitt wanted to be like in the perfect defensive play call on every snap. And I I think there were so many you know checks and if 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 this if you see A then you do B if you see C then you do D and I. I I, it feels like a lot of that's been eliminated. Well, they're playing with they're playing well, and obviously they got a much different challenge coming up this week. Uh, there's no doubt, but they're playing super aggressive. Um, they were aggressive on Saturday with a lot of blitzes coming from a different bunch of different places, doing a lot of different things. And, and two two of the COVID super seniors, I think, are a big reason. I think Theo Jackson and, and Matthew Butler uh, are playing at a level that they've not approached previously in their careers, and I, I think that's one of the reasons that we're having this conversation. Yeah, I don't think well, there's – go ahead. And I was just going to say, things get way more interesting for both those kids this week. I mean, they, they've they feasted on the first three games, but now that we've hit, hit you know, SEC play, can they keep it up? You know, that, that to me that – you know, how does Theo do in space against a, a good slot guy? And then how does Matthew Butler do against an SEC offensive line? Yeah, I think playing in space is going to be a real challenge and, and, and something that this defense is going to have to be really good at because I think Florida is fantastic if they can get the corner on you and, and you can't close down space very well. Um, that, not just go, that doesn't just go for Theo Jackson. That goes for everybody. But your, your point's well made, Austin. But when you talk about things out of the 56 to nothing win um, last week, my biggest takeaway off, or defensively I, I like the young players on this defense. They're, listen, they're, they're not ready to go to Gainesville and, and, and you know, take on the world as some of those young players. Um, but, uh, you know, I think Tamarian McDonald can, can certainly justify more playing time for him moving forward. Christian Charles, Rob, seems to be where he's supposed to be all the time. Rucker makes a play. I mean, there are a couple of young pieces, particularly in the secondary, and that's a secondary that's going to lose a lot of parts at the end of this year when you talk about Theo Jackson and uh, Trayvon Flowers and, and Jalen McCullough and those guys. If, if you know, they, they move on, you're going to have to replace some guys there. But, but there's, there's some positive takeaways with some of that youth, particularly in the secondary that we saw on Saturday. Oh, yeah. And Christian Charles, I mean, it's not, not the secondary play, but I mean, you talked about this in the preseason. Those guys are going to have to show up on special teams. He shows up with a block punt and, you know, already early in his career. And, to, you know, McDonald's the guy we heard some buzz about last year. I mean, and it kind of incredibly came back and played when nobody thought he would with the shoulder. But I, I mean, we, 
they've danced around it. I, I see those guys pushing for like legit playing time. I mean, I can see, I can see what Jalen McCullough did as a freshman happening to him at some point this career, this season, when he pushed his way to the starting lineup. It's a heck of an interception by McDonald, Austin. I mean, that was a really good football play that he made to undercut the tight end. It was. Um, and then when you look at Deshaun Rucker, I, you know, we had Alante out on the locker room Sunday night, and I was talking to him before the show. And I said, what do you think of some of those young guys? And he was very complimentary of uh, both Tamarion and Christian Charles, but then went on to say, man, he really loves Deshaun Rucker. He's like, man, he goes, Rucker makes plays every day in practice. He goes, he's not there mentally. But he goes, he's going to get there really quick because he's picking it up really, really fast. And he goes, when he gets there, he goes, he's going to be hard to keep off the field because he is – he goes, he's just really, really good. Um, he goes, it's just a matter of, you know, correcting little mistakes here and there that keep him, you know, from pushing for more playing time. But clearly someone who's impressed a guy like Alante. And uh, so, yeah, I mean, I, I agree. I mean, you know, you really have flowers – can come back next year. McCullough can come back next year. You know, um, I'm interested to see, you know, if any of these guys, you know, push those guys right out of the lineup. Because, I mean, I think that's – a this Rob's right. I think that's very much something that could happen. How they play, how they continue to play on special teams, how they push in the secondary uh, is worth watching, not just this week, but in weeks to come. I, I like I like Muhan too, at linebacker. I, I don't know if he – I don't know if he can figure it all out. Uh, but whenever he decides to get somewhere, he's <laughs> he's getting there fast and he's getting there with some authority. Um, I, I thought he showed up a couple of times. I think he's been fantastic on special teams uh, through the first three games of the season. It, it, do you he's not like ready, but, but, but I like his development. But do you kind of liken him to the way Jalen Reeves Maven was early in his career? He was a special teams warrior and then started to figure things out linebacker-wise. It's an interesting comparison. I don't think that's a necessarily a bad comparison. I'm not Jack. saying he's the same right. player. I'm just right. saying, like, you know, how he how he's factored. Yeah, the, the, the pathway. Size-wise, size they're, they're pretty similar. I mean, Jalen was a safety in high school. Yep. And Who had to add weight. Kind of a similar skill set. Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, that, that's – I mean, I think that's the path to getting on the field. But I, I thought I thought he took pretty good advantage – uh, of the opportunity presented before him on Saturday. I mean, he didn't play a ton, but um, I, I thought he showed up, you know, just in the rewatch deal. I thought he was really flying to the to the ball. What do you make of the Aubrey Solomon six tackles? Well, I mean, I, I think it's pretty – it sound, sounded pretty clear to me. I mean, Heupel was not shy about it. What, do you, what was the phrase he used? His commitment inside the building? Or, you know, something was was – I gather that it was not necessarily talent or ability that was the reason he didn't play in the first two games. It was a buy-in. Yeah, I mean, but six tackles, did he buy in enough to be – I mean, is the buy-in there enough to for them to trust him in a rotation this weekend? I mean, I know it's Tennessee Tech, but I thought he used his hands well. I thought he showed up. Is there enough there for him to get on the field this weekend uh, against Florida and trying to slow that that run game down and, and – you know, where, where is he in, in getting out of Rodney Garner's doghouse? Because I think it's pretty pretty obvious to this point he's he's been in that doghouse because of that lack of buy-in. Um, but, you know, he, he clearly looked like a guy who would lost some weight on Saturday. Um, but we'll see if he's got more buy-in moving forward. I was surprised to see that it was six tackles. I thought he had a pretty good 
afternoon, but I, I was, I didn't seem, didn't recall six tackles. I, I recalled a couple of, of, you know, obvious plays, but uh, he obviously ran after the ball pretty well. So uh, does Rodney Garner play him this weekend? It is it, is intriguing to to keep an eye on and, and, and something to, to watch moving forward. I mean, is it hard, Rob, to trust those young guys this week? I mean, is it natural instinct for coaches to go back to shortening the bench, so to speak, because you're on the road for the first time and you're playing in the SEC and you're playing against a, you know, a Florida team? Is, is it hard to expect them to gain a ton of trust out of last week that they're really going to put somebody in, in one of those situations this weekend? I mean, don't you think it's it would be human nature for it to be easier with this for this coaching staff just because they don't have a history? with the veterans, I mean, they've not seen them, you know, they've not been with them in, in, a, in a foxhole. They've got just as much, you know, experience with Christian Charles as they do with Jalen McCullough. Or, you know, for, for me, I, I think it might make, them, make it easier for them because they don't have, you know, that kind of shared history. I'm not saying they'll do it. I'm just saying I don't think they would be as reluctant. Yeah, and, you know, I thought they were a little bit reluctant in the Pittsburgh game, but, um, you know, I didn't think they played enough defensive guys in that Pittsburgh game, so we'll see how many defensive guys they elect to play in this game. I do think one advantage Tennessee has going into this game is in the kicking game. Uh, When you look at Florida's numbers, Florida's given up some return yards. They haven't been dynamic in the kicking game to this point. I think that's. I think Tennessee's has played the kicking game better than any phase of the game this season. Overall, didn't get into over. Didn't get into overtime last week because they missed an extra point. Yeah, I, I just don't think they've been. I mean, I don't think they've been very good. I think Tennessee has an advantage, even though it's on the road. I think Tennessee has an advantage in the kicking game, particularly with Bayless Jones and his ability to return kicks. And I think what Tennessee's been able to do in kick coverage to this point has been really impressive. So there, there's a an opportunity for Tennessee to to win, you know, to win that phase of the game, which, um, you know, if you're looking for hidden yards and you're looking for yards in this game, you want to get all of them that you can. They need to win they, every opportunity in the, in the kicking game. I mean, they've been – I just mentioned, mentioned a minute ago, they've had a block punt once in their first three games. They've been great. You just – they've been great in coverage to the point where Pitt just went with a fair catch every time after, after the first couple. Um you know, your punter is one of the best in the, in the conference, and, and we talked about it last week. I think you know, having Chase McGrath kind of show you in, in the, within the first couple of weeks that he was solid, was has been a really nice development. Yeah, uh, no doubt. All right, a couple of things. So a couple of other quick things before we get into uh, just just a, a quick thing on football recruiting, a couple of quick questions there, and, and then obviously some basketball recruiting uh, as well before we wrap up the podcast here. If you're if you're if you're in charge, if you're the commissioner of college football, what do you do about officiating? What do you do about targeting based on what we saw last weekend? And, and officiating, we're talking about Mississippi State, Memphis debacle. Um, Penn State has to punt on third downs because you can't count downs. Um, reviews don't seem to make any sense. I mean, I mean, Rob, there, there's there's millions of dollars on the line in this deal here. I mean, what, what if you if you were the the mysterious, you know, created position of of college football commissioner, which doesn't exist, which probably needs to exist? What do you do about what you saw on Saturday? I mean, I, the the biggest one to me was the Mississippi State game. I mean, I think you, you've got to have somebody in a booth somewhere who has the ability to to just buzz buzz the crew and and get that one right because that was 
I mean, that was egregious. I mean, you can just, a lot of these, a lot of them, like, you know, does Auburn win if they don't get called for the targeting call down on the goal line against Penn State? I don't know. But Mississippi State wins if they don't get screwed on, on the on the punt return. I mean, you got a couple of different, you know, not not just the, the, the fact that they downed it, but the fact that, you know, the ref was moving in, waving his arms, blowing his whistle, but also, you know, they had two guys with the same jersey number on the field. That that has to be able to be fixed somehow. <laughs> you know, just that that play right there. I you know, the targeting stuff, uh, it's it's a really complicated issue. I, I don't have an answer for that or what I would do. But things like what happened in Mississippi State, somebody somewhere has got to be able to hit a buzzer and say, whoa, 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 whoa. We got to slow down. Here's here's what happened. All right, before I get to that, quick quickly for both of you guys, should targeting become like a basketball flagrant one, flagrant two? Yes. I mean, yeah, that, I think, everybody's I, been talking I, about that for several years. I think that's a great point, however. I mean, I, I mean yeah. is the Penn State play – is the Penn State Auburn play a poster child for that? That okay, if you're going to call something there, you can't throw that kid out of the game. I I don't think you should call anything because if the if the if the Auburn player doesn't hit him, he scores because he's diving forward and his knees aren't on the ground. But but aren't we to a point now where we've got to have flagrant one, flagrant two, as opposed to throwing four people out in the first half of a game like we saw in Week One when when Ole Miss was playing against against Louisville? I, I just I think we have to fix that rule somehow, some way. I understand, yeah. don't Austin, you don't take it out of the game, but don't they have to fix it somehow? Yeah, I agree. I mean, because ultimately, like, and, and did they change the rule this offseason where the kid doesn't have to leave the sideline? Yeah, but what's the point in that? I mean, you know, he can't play. I mean, so he can't, so he can stay on the sideline. That strength coach doesn't have to go to the locker room with him. Okay. Yeah, I mean, but I mean, my, my point being is like, I just, like, it makes no sense. Like, what was, so what was the kid from Auburn supposed to do? Like he dove, kid from Penn State dove. Like it's not like you, you know, he can go. Oh, I'm about to target, you know. And now all of a sudden, and, and, and I, I guess I should have just let him score. You know, I mean, like either you're playing football or you're not. Like they, they, they've taken this and and turned it into, you know, where somebody's gonna get hurt playing too defensive. Yeah, I, I, I just, I think you got to address it. My, my last thing on that before I get to the two recruiting questions I got, and I've just got two for you is my biggest issue with officiating is the replay booth. The inconsistency out of the replay booth is more maddening than the inconsistency of the guys on the field during live action. The game is fast on the field. I understand missing some things in live action, but when you've got the opportunity to review it and look at as many angles as you want to look at, as many times as you want to look at it, we should not be sitting here issue, having to issue a statement as the SEC did Saturday night going, hey, replay screwed that up. Like, what, what, what do you got replay for? I mean, how can they, how can they miss that? Um, we saw it in the NFL. I thought replay missed a couple of key things in the NFL on Sunday as well. I, I just – I'm not sure what the replay guys are doing um, to, to, to not fix wrongs on the field or in some cases turn a right into a wrong, on, you know, from, from what the calls are being made. All right, that's my last diatribe on that. Quickly on the two recruiting questions. Um, Austin, this is this game a big deal for Walter Nolan, or is that stuff overblown? Overblown. I mean, I'm not saying the kid can't end up at Florida. I'm right. just saying, but not based on know, this game. No, I mean nobody's nobody's going to a school based off any particular game. Um, I just think that you know, again, it's all it's all a show, and and you know, we've said that for the longest time. I mean, the top three changed 
he went to Michigan. They're not even in the top three. Florida's out of the top three. Then he goes down there, and now he's loving them up. It's just part of the part of the charm. All right. Anything else of note in recruiting? No. That's pretty it's, slow. It's, re- it's really slow. I mean, like I wish there was. I, it, it, I mean, it's just it's no juice but, at all. Right, and it's two away games for Tennessee, so nobody's coming to campus. You know, obviously in the next few weeks, so it's going to be October mid-October before anything potentially gets cranked back up for Tennessee. Certainly a, a strong showing for Tennessee would not hurt them in recruiting if they could do that this weekend. All right, Rob, on the hoops front, they, they got your man in this past weekend. <laughs> not your man, but but the guy that's highly talked about. You, you, you had a chance to visit uh, with him, but what's the story on, on the latest five-star to visit? I mean, talking about Case and Wallace, and yep. the story's the same that you know, I've been putting out there for – you know, several weeks now. I think it's just an absolute dogfight with Kentucky. Um, I I couldn't call it right now. I think Tennessee – I mean, I, I I do not side with all these – I mean, there's a lot of people out there in the basketball recruiting world that say he's a Kentucky lock. And I put this on the message board, but I've met the young man. I've met his parents. They're not the kind of people that are going to waste, you know, Rick Barnes and his entire staff's time and, and money bringing the kid up here. If it's, if it's over. I mean, I just, I don't believe that for a second. Now he may end up at Kentucky, but I don't remotely think that, that, that is, that decision has already been made. Cause again, that, that family is just not the type that is going to string people along with, you know, taking three airplane tickets and a bunch of free food and hotel rooms this weekend. And, you know, wasted, wasted the staff's time when they could be focused and recruiting on other kids. They're, they're just not, the, they're not those type of folks. So it's, it's just, I think Texas is out. I think that was a courtesy visit to the in-state school. Um, And we're going to have to wait till November, which I was kind of surprised about. I would have thought the kid would have wanted to get it over with and get it out there. But he told me he's not going to make an announcement until it's time to commit and sign the first week of November. Now, maybe he gets so much pressure and attention that, that he walks that back a little bit. But uh, for now, it's like we're gonna have to wait a few weeks. Big big advantage for Tennessee that they had the two that they got two official visits. They're the only one to get two official visits. Or do you think that Kentucky's Kentucky Tennessee's obviously established in there, and this is just a dogfight? Yeah, I think it's an advantage, but I don't think it's a huge advantage. And here's okay. another thing: I think I think he's I don't uh, he should, in my opinion, have gotten the impression that he is a huge priority for Tennessee. Coach has been able to get out on the road now for a couple of weeks. Rick Barnes, as as well as assistants, have been to the school every chance they, they have gotten to since the um, live contact period opened up. Cal Perry's been once. Other two other times he just sent an assistant. Now, is that a huge thing? I don't know, but I you know I think it would have sent a message if it was me. Yeah, it could be a bigger it could be a bigger deal than getting the two official visits. You know, just and I do, and I do think that's a big deal, but I, I think it would be a bigger deal if. You had him in for the for the last the, the second visit, and he was going to decide like next week. Yeah, okay. you know. Instead, I think the fact that he's waiting over a month, I think, kind of lessens the impact of that a little bit. Well, we'll see what happens with that. We'll see if Tennessee can get some football recruiting juice going at some time over the course of the next month, uh, and obviously, we'll see if Tennessee uh, can uh, prove themselves better than the odds makers have them this weekend as they travel to Florida as heavy underdogs to take on the Florida Gators. That's going to do it for this. Tuesday edition of the VolQuest.com podcast presented by Smoky Mountain Organics. For Rob Lewis and Austin Price and Brett Hubs, thanks for joining us. Have a great rest of your Tuesday, everybody.
You've been listening to the Ball Quest podcast every week here on Ball Quest.